What's going on, everybody? For Cryptocurrent, I'm Stephen Miller, and you are watching the Aftershock, the show where we get you updated on all things Web3. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Richard Carthon, who is the host of our interview series. Richard, how are you? Doing well, Steve. Um, you know, in the overall market, in the macro, there's a lot going on. I mean, you have Europe, who's, you know, sterling is the lowest it's been in recorded history uh, in a long time. Uh, you have inflation pumping all over the place. Global banks trying to fight inflation by all raising their interest rates at the same time, which is unprecedented, has never happened like ever. You know, th- there's just a lot of stuff going on all at once. Yet somehow through all this turbulence, crypto has remained kind of stable, which is kind of crazy and gives me hope. Just give me the little bit of hopium I need through all this chaos. But otherwise, you know, doing pretty good. How you doing? Oh man, we can all use a little bit of hopium these days. Um, it's been a very interesting market across the last weekend and last week for sure since we last um, saw you, our wonderful audience here on the Aftershock. Um, and I think that if any one thing has really come into perspective, it's that until the euro recovers against the dollar, it's now called soccer. It's not football anymore. Uh, but that's just my personal take on it to uh, really take an early shot in the show. But look, if you're joining us for the very first time, I hope you enjoy our dad jokes and our humor. But we're really here to talk about crypto and get you caught up on everything that's going on in the world of Web3. Um, we do these shows every single Wednesday here on Cryptocurrency Aftershock series. But we also do the interviews every Monday as well. Um, you can, of course, find the show over on your podcast platform of choice and on YouTube. So if you would like to subscribe to us over there, we would be greatly appreciative. And... That's the best way to keep updated with us other than following us on social media. But that's our little pitch to you today. We hope that you enjoy the show. We're going to dive right into things today with today's Aftershock. Get you caught up on what's going on. The Aftershock. So on the Aftershock this week, we are starting out with the Web3 Lightning Round. And at the top of the Lightning Round this week, we've got Tether, who's been ordered to prove its USDT-backed assets by a federal judge. Now, Richard, that's not the first time we've had this story come down, right? We've heard plenty of times in the past that you know it's a big deal that Tether needs to be constantly updating what its actual balance sheet shows. Um, do you see this as anything more than just the media trying to grasp onto a FUD story? Or is this something that we really should be caring about? A little of both. So this has happened to Tether a lot of times. I don't know that they've ever really been pressed um, by a federal judge, but also, yes, it's a federal judge, but judge, but unless like the SEC or like a huge super U.S. governing body really presses them, I think they're going to kind of keep flying under radar and not really having to prove it. But I do think there's a reckoning eventually with USDT if they get pressed hard enough and have to show where all this stuff is backed. That is where um, it could really get ugly. So, uh, yeah, man, I, um, I'm, I'm going to say both, but for now, for, for the purposes of, of what we just reported on, I'm calling it FUD. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've definitely seen it said time and time again, that there's issues with tether and that tether doesn't back it one-to-one and all this other stuff that, you know, we already know about USDC, 
But you've also got other stablecoin wars of sorts going on behind the scenes because you've got Binance um, USD being seen as like the number one stablecoin by certain exchanges and they're starting to rule out USDT and they're starting to rule out USDC. It's a really interesting climate for stablecoins right now. And I think it's only going to continue to get scrutinized further by you know US regulation. But let's go ahead and forge forward because I think that everybody here can agree Stablecoins are not the most exciting news. Um, let's In our next story, we've got the CFTC pursuing its first case against a DAO. This is really interesting to me, Rich, because honest to God, I was wondering which agency would first be going after DAOs. And it seems to me like the only cases that are going to be actually seen are those where it's been like improperly set up or like a DAO right. has not structured itself the right way. But in this specific instance, we're talking about a DAO called B0X DAO. And essentially what I've come to understand is that the CFTC is going after them because they failed to file a merchant sales license um, of some sort. So the penalty that they're currently going after is a $250,000 fine and a cease and desist order. Um, an interesting approach nonetheless, because I'm not sure that a DAO... Um, will be able to t- like tackle the legal fees on top of that type of fine. So what do you think about this story? So real quick, for all those who don't know what that CFTC was, I had to look it up myself. It is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And what I think is interesting with this, especially as they explore this, if a DAO is a dis- truly a decentralized autonomous organization, there's really no one person to go after. If you try to go after all the organizations, does that mean that you're going after collectively everyone that's involved in that DAO? Are you trying to go after the first people who conceptualized the DAO and created it and had it go out? Like, how do you first tackle that? Then let's say that you do go after, let's call it everyone. So does that mean that everyone who's involved in the DAO collectively needs to spit, split $250,000 fine? Um, and then if they, like, how do you and then enforce a, a cease and desist as well? Like, this is, <laughs> this is going to shake up so many things and is going to be like the case study that future DAOs look back to so they can figure out how to best legally uh, be set up or, or how to create it from inception in a way that the U.S. or any other government governing body can go after them. Yeah, my leading suspicion right at this immediate moment is that they're going to successfully execute against this DAO, this cease and desist order. But interestingly, it really does have more to do with the function of a DAO. I had a very interesting conversation about DAOs earlier on today um, with a couple of friends within um, a different DAO community that I'm involved in. And it really does seem to me that like because DAOs are such a novel structure, there's so much experimentation going on in that world, that we're not going to yet know whether or not it makes sense to be going after all DAOs via the CFTC or if other organizations are going to start getting involved um, when it comes to regulating them because they can take on very novel structures. Um, you know, They can be used for investment clubs. They can be used um, almost like a nonprofit of sorts. And it can even be, you know, just simply for governing an organization. It's a very, very novel thing. And I think as time goes on, we're going to get a lot more clarity on it. But it's definitely going to be um, clouded or occluded by a lot of the regulators out there that are going to try and spin it as a negative. 
So time will tell. I'm sure Brad Sherman out of California will say something stupid about it. Let's go ahead and forge ahead so we can get out of regulation. Just kidding. We've got an SEC story for you. So the SEC has formally charged influencer Ian Bellina for failing to disclose compensation after promoting Spark or Spark tokens, SPRK, um, to um, investors of that token that he is essentially seen as an influencer acting upon. Now, Richard, Ian is um, a friend of the show. You know, we've had him on before. Do you have any take on this story? Because there's some definite interesting parts of it. Um, and I'm kind of hesitant to get too personal on like the defense of the end. Yeah, uh, the way I'm going to put this out is this is unprecedented in a lot of different ways. I feel that the SEC could have gone after several different people potentially in this capacity. It's interesting that they chose to specifically go after Ian. feels very targeted. Um, so curious how they, of all the instances they potentially could try to pick, they go after this one. But then even within the case itself, there's a, a couple of claims that don't really add up. Um, you can look into this. Um, if you go to Token Metrics, they have statements that have been made that kind of go line by line for what the SEC claims and what actually happened. Um, but there's also a claim in there that's really interesting where they try to say that Ethereum is in the U.S. jurisdiction, which interesting that the SEC tried to make that claim. Um, but all the same, with this legal case, what's going to be challenging all the same is that I do think, well, the SEC has the capacity to try to bleed Ian's finances dry by going to court and going through the whole process and not trying to do a settlement. Uh, if he tries to pursue it and go all the way, it's going to cost a significant amount of money. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, they're trying to make an example for whatever reason. Uh, and, and it's going to set a precedent for, and yes, I said it, and I hope you love the way I said that, Steve, but it's, it's going to absolutely you know, set the stage for how future ICOs are being handled and, and what people can start to do to not necessarily stay under the radar, but to be in compliance. Um, but what's your take on it? I think the thing that I have to key in on here, not just to save face, is the fact that they're trying to label Ethereum now that it's proof of stake as something that the US has like specific jurisdiction over, right? Because there's no freaking way that that holds up, especially when proof of stake is something that is so fluid. If all of a sudden you have certain um, validators shift outside of the United States, there's nothing that holds that up. And then all of a sudden, everything that they've said before that point about it, you know, having jurisdiction no longer holds up. And then what happens to the cases they've pressed on for that, right? That, that entire argument is a little bit um, too saline for my liking. I would much rather think that like, there's a direction that we can go in here that the SEC can just finally acknowledge the fact that Bitcoin, XRP, and Ethereum are definitely not securities. Um, I feel like we've gotten to that to that point, but they just want to keep fighting it tooth and nail. Now, in this specific instance with Ian and everything that's going on with Spark, what I will say is this: a couple of weeks ago, the SEC put together a special office that was really, really focused on one thing: putting together a list slash a 
a dossier on all of the cases that the SEC could pursue right now, it would be borderline slam dunk cases. This to me seems like it may be one of the first cases out of that um, group, right? Because they wouldn't go, they wouldn't start going after influencers or small tokens unless they really had a strong shot because they know that they're spending a ton of taxpayer money right now losing an XRP case, right? There's no two, there's no two ways about it. Like a lot of people are anticipating right now that that case will be done before the end of the year, right? There's been talk about them filing for summary judgment within the last two weeks. So it's a matter of time on that one. But the SEC is looking for wins. I don't think they would go ahead and start charging after little ICOs like this and influencers who theoretically could have potentially um, failed the Financial Disclosure Act um, in terms of how they gave um, investors certain disclosures about their investments. So time will ultimately tell on this one. I just, I have a lot more concern about the fact that they're trying to label Ethereum within the US jurisdiction when it just isn't. I mean, it's, it's one of the most ridiculous claims that I've heard out of the government lately, besides what the White House put out last week on cryptocurrencies. But that's a conversation for a different... Uh, whole nother day. Whole different day. Um, all right, so let's talk about Colorado, right? Because you've got pretty good news in this front. I know there have been a couple of states that have been trying to figure out how to apply cryptocurrencies to making tax payments, right? And Colorado has officially become, across the last week and a half, the first state in the United States to accept Bitcoin as a tax payment method. Pretty interesting. Again, I'm not going to go spending my Bitcoin on paying my taxes. But for somebody who is absolutely a Bitcoin whale, it may make sense to a degree, right? So give me your perspective on this. Is this going to start becoming a more widespread trend or is this a one-off? I think that it's going to be initially a one-off because no, no one really wants to be the first, but if it goes well, everyone, everyone wants to jump on, right? So going back to when weed was first legalized in the United States and states saw like, oh my gosh, look at these states making all this money. More and more started jumping on the bandwagon, right? So I think, especially if people pay their taxes in the next year while Bitcoin is as low as it is, um, below 20,000 at the time of this recording, and they're just collecting and you know Bitcoin just gets back to its all-time high. I mean, they just 3X'd money right there. So I, I think it is not going to be the last state, but I do think it's going to be the first case study where more and more states uh, try to get into it. And if I, if I do recall, Colorado was also one of the first states to, to legalize weed. So it, it tracks. So let's get weirdly political for two seconds. I don't like getting political on this show, but I'm just kind of curious of your take. What happens first federally? Bitcoin as a tax payment to the IRS for your federal taxes on a yearly basis or weed being federally legal? Weed, for sure. For sure. Yeah. For I, sure. At this stage of the game, dude, I actually think it's a coin flip. I think it could... Really? I think it could absolutely be a coin flip. And it, that's, that's a weird thing to say, right? Because for the longest time, I think we've now like seen the proof is in the pudding across the country that like more and more states are recreationally passing it. But I think the, the technological focus within Congress right now is going to allow for the IRS to open that 
can a lot quicker than we can like federally mandate that recreational marijuana is legal. So to me, it, it's, a, it's more of a coin flip. But let's go ahead and forge ahead to our final story in the Web3 lightning round, which honest to God, man, like with all the regulation chatter that we've been having, like I'm really excited to talk about this story because <laughs> there is very few things that I enjoy more this time of year than good old fashioned football. And no, I'm not talking about soccer. I'm talking about football. So the New England Patriots have officially tapped Chain.com as their blockchain partner. And the CEO of Chain.com has, in turn, um, helped them with acquiring Patriots.eth. We've talked a lot about ENS domains here, but this is officially the Patriots making their first claim to their Web3 identity and also partnering with an absolute behemoth in terms of the private blockchain world. So talk to me about this. Is this a really big deal? Am I just too hyped on this? Is there too much hopium in the air because of this story? Or um, are you sensing that this is going to be almost like the path to bigger things for the NFL and blockchain? I like how progressive the and embracing the NFL has been towards the world of crypto. And yes, it's because crypto are cutting big checks, you know, crypto.com and um, FTX, Serena and all this other kind of stuff. But the fact that New England, like the New England Patriots are openly like putting their mark into the blockchain space and then also buying an ENS, you have to imagine that these other NFL teams are going to start following suit. No one wants to be last, especially if they start like making some money from it too. Like I, I did not expect this from the Patriots. I would have expected this from a handful of other NFL teams. Like I was shocked when this came through and the Patriots did it, which gives me all the hope that the rest of the NFL are going to start doing more and more things like this as well. So here's where it like, my mind goes down like a hundred different rabbit holes of this one, man. Like, I really do love this story because there's so many different things that you have to ask yourself. Like, what the hell are the Patriots really planning to do with Patriots.eth? Right? Like, I'm, yeah, sure. I'm glad they have a blockchain partner in house. Like, awesome. Chain is really doing some really cool stuff. Like, proud of them. Great. Patriots.eth is what I want to talk about because we've talked about subdomains and what's coming to ENS here, like, probably for like the better part of the last five weeks because I'm super bullish. But you can issue subdomains to every single player now. Yep. Like you can go through and get, get like just give macjones.patriots.eth to Mac Jones, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, and he can receive his payments to macjones.patriots.eth directly to his MetaMask. That's completely within the realm of possibility. Then again, I'm not sure if babyface Mac Jones is going to want to do that. So the question is, okay, is Robert Kraft, the oldest man in football, willing to use robertkraft.patriots.eth? And I think the answer is probably not because I have to imagine he feels similarly to crypto as you know his buddies like Warren Buffett and the other turtle-looking guy. But the point that I'm getting to here is like there's just a lot of application. There's a lot of stuff they can do with this. So I think it's bullish for all of you know, NFL wide adoption of like crypto and ENS and all that. Uh, but God, it, it gets me really excited for what is possible in the future and what we could start seeing down the line. 
But let's jump into last week in the metaverse where we get you caught up on the metaverse related stories and NFT project related stories. Try to get away from ENS for a minute. Now, this one's a really, really interesting story. Okay. So the tail end of last week, we had news out of a project called Zilliqa. Zilliqa up until this point had been a mined project, meaning that you can mine using proof of work miners, um, their ZIL token. But they've decided to come out of the woodwork with a secret project they've been working on. And it turns out that they will be debuting a Web3 gaming console in early 2023. So just around the corner. Now, Richard, the really cool thing to me is that this thing looks very sleek. It's what you would expect out of the top you know, tier AAA gaming platformer like an Xbox One or a PS5. It looks pretty darn cool. But on top of that, they're planning on releasing first-party games an integrated wallet, and integrated mining utilities. That means that as you play games, you will be able to mine Zill tokens by playing games. Now, this could change the game for Zillica entirely. Like, I mean, their, their valuation could just go through the roof if the sales of these things really does take off the way that I think a lot of people anticipate it will. But what do you think this means for metaverse gaming and you know crypto gaming as the future um, already views it. First, listening to this, this sounds super dope. This sounds absolutely amazing. What terrifies me is building a gaming console and marketing it and having it go to market and people receive it and it like has actual good games is extremely hard. Like, very hard. Like, there's a reason why Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo are basically your big three gaming consoles it's because it's very hard to go in there and try to disrupt that. Now, I think it's cool. Like the concept, like I'm, I am a PlayStation gamer through and through. Hoorah, here we are. However, if I could be mining any type of crypto while playing that, oh, that's an easy sell for me. That sounds amazing. What stops future consoles like PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo from doing something like that if Zill, uh, if Zill is successful? And the answer is nothing. Like, nothing stops them from doing that. So I think it's going to be a great case study. I think if the games are cool and it picked up and everything happens, I think they're going to have their moment. I think there could be a lot of upside, but I absolutely think the big boys could come in and kill them. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see where this goes. because. Honest to God, it seems like they really got their ducks in a row and they they wanted to make sure that when this news dropped, that it went out with a bang. I don't think that they have a lot to worry about. I think they probably have really got their ducks in a row and that they've crossed their T's and dotted their I's because putting together something like this, it requires a lot of resources. A ton. It requires a lot of cooperation. And for it to have been completely quiet behind the scenes and people had no idea this was coming, this is what I want to see from projects that are building in the bear market, right? I want to see them actually delivering and executing. So I'm pretty pumped about it. I do think that like Microsoft especially will probably come with something similar soon. And that'll probably be some type of, you know, built-in mining feature of their own, but it's going to be for a different currency. 
what would be really cool is to see if like Zilliqa could form partnerships with other gaming platforms out there and try to get integration for mining Zilliqa token using other games and other and other consoles. That would be really interesting. But I think they're still in a really good position right now. I agree. Well, let me, let me throw one more question at you then. Hmm? You buying a Zilliqa console? Um, I don't have it? enough hours in a week right now, let alone to add in gaming. But what I can tell you is this, like I may go in and have Z's on it with you just for the sake of like letting you go play this gaming console and just see what happens. Uh, because we know all the other hardware that you've bought in the crypto world has, you know, really served you well. I want to at least try to give you some type of turnaround moment, some like leap of faith. <laughs> yeah, I could use it. Yes, sir. Well, look, let's jump into our next story and get away from the dismal reminder of hardware's past. So Coinbase has announced aggregated NFT listings and an ENS partnership are coming to Coinbase NFT to create free-to-claim CB.ID usernames for all of its wallet users. Um, let's start with the aggregator piece, right? They earlier on in the year acquired gem.xyz. They're a very prominent NFT aggregator still being used. It's still live. It's a great platform. The fact that they've added in aggregated listings from OpenSea, LooksRare, and X2Y2 directly into Coinbase NFT is going to be a difference maker for them in a big way. Because right now, nobody wants to use Coinbase NFT. It's probably the most underutilized Coinbase um, property within their entire architecture. And on top of that, it's definitely the most underutilized NFT platform out there. But when it comes to the usernames piece, that's where I start to get really curious. Because there have definitely been other like projects out there that have utilized the ENS framework for deploying unique usernames. So CB.ID is not something that is, let's just say, let's just call it what it is, new, right? Decentraland has their own version of this that's run through ENS. It's um, the dot land domains. So I think it's really cool because it's a great way to relate back to your user base and give them new utility. But is there something more to this that we need to be considering? Because like, I feel like it's a very narrow way to view it. No, I think they're trying to scratch and claw and create some sort of new shiny thing to bring attention back to it. And if like I'm not mistaken, like you could customize your username from the jump. Like I thought that was one of the cool parts. Like I remember customizing my username ID. Like I think they're just doing it in a new-ish way to kind of like give it again that new sparkle to like bring people back to 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 give it a second glance. But I don't know, man. I don't know that this is going to be enough to truly what people's appetite to want to leave OpenSea and come over to Coinbase for their NFT needs. Yeah. So look, I what I will say is like you bring up a really good point there with what they had is their old handles and two second diversion story. I remember setting up my original Coinbase handle and I think I had gotten either at Steven or at Steven Miller and immediately lost access to that Coinbase wallet. So that handle is permanently locked, which sucks. That does suck. But Again, it's not like I use Coinbase wallet much. I'm a strict like MetaMask user and Ledger user. What's interesting to me about those old at handles that was similar to like how Cash App was configured, 
versus what they now have with CB.ID is that with CB.ID, you can now use that as like a receive address similar to an ENS domain because it's utilizing the same protocol. So what I'm saying is like if you are sending, if you're trying to send um, Ethereum from your MetaMask wallet to your Coinbase wallet, you no longer need the ETH address of your Coinbase wallet. You can simply key in CB.ID of your Coinbase wallet and it will automatically resolve to your ETH address on that wallet. So it's cross-application. It's not just within the Coinbase ecosystem. So with Coinbase wallet before, you could only send from one Coinbase wallet to another Coinbase wallet using that at handle. It was internally networked. This is global. This is multi, uh, multi-protocol. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that definitely gives it a lot more utilities. But again, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a cool bell and whistle. It's also extremely centralized in a lot of ways, right? Like, because you're still going through the all the CBID stuff. And again, for mass adoption, yes, you need to have some centralized uh, avenues. But does that pull the audience that is currently here over? I don't think so. Yeah, I think the answer is no. But I do think that everybody out there should try and go snag like their free CB.ID and download Coinbase wallet because you never know. And you want to try and protect what little bit of the internet that you can control, right? Right. Yeah, so let's go on to this next story. Um, back into the exchange game, you've got a whole bunch of big time NFT marketplaces that we've already brought up on this show. You've got OpenSea, you've got LooksRare, you've got X2Y2, you've got maybe Coinbase NFT. I'm always going to fade Coinbase NFT. Let's just be clear. But Magic Eden is like the preeminent NFT marketplace in the Solana, the Solana ecosystem. They have just made the decision to officially move into Ethereum projects. So they just onboarded their first set of Ethereum projects, including Board API Club and Pudgy Penguins. Why Pudgy Penguins? The world may never know. But the point is that they're doing it. And to me, I think that this is actually a story that needs more attention because what Magic Eden is doing, backing up for two seconds, is bringing an entire NFT world into exposure with Ethereum NFTs. Because a lot of people, when they were being onboarded into NFTs from the jump, were of the mindset that Ethereum gas fees were outrageous. So there's an entire part of the NFT market that has just been living in the Solana ecosystem and they've not you know, found exposure outside of it. So to now be seeing Ethereum NFTs popping up in their preferred marketplace is naturally going to bring exposure for them over into the Ethereum ecosystem. They may get curious. They may cross over. So I think that this could lead to more cross-pollination between ecosystems. And to me, I'm really bullish about some of the projects that may definitely you know, benefit from it. So what do you think about this one? Because I think that there, there are definitely a lot of takeaways to be found. I think it might do the inverse. So I think there's... The majority of people who are in the NFT space are definitely Ethereum based and, you know, using OpenSea, et cetera. And there are people who like know that Solana has NFTs and have heard of Magic Eden, but haven't really used the platform where they're like, oh, I can go buy my regular Ethereum NFTs and explore the Solana ecosystem as well, all in the same place. That sounds pretty appetizing. So I agree that, yes, you're going to get some of your Solana um, 
maximalists to get more exposure into the Ethereum NFT space, et cetera. But I also think you're going to get some pull from um, the other side as well, where you have Ethereum people who've been waiting to kind of explore what a Solana NFT potentially could look like. And now they have a platform to do it all in the same place. I think that that could be really appealing. So here's the reason why I disagree with you. And maybe it's a hot take. Maybe it's a lukewarm take. But the reason why I'm a little bit hesitant to make that jump is because OpenSea has integrated Solana NFTs now for the better part of like two and a half months. So you've been able to buy Solana NFTs over on Ethereum. So all of those Ethereum NFT buyers and sellers have had exposure to Solana NFTs. They've already had that type of watershed moment. I don't think that the Solana NFT people that have been strictly on Magic Eden have had that type of watershed moment. So again, maybe it is just my perception of things being a partial ETH NFT maxi. But I have to imagine that we would have seen a much larger migration of like the ETH NFT volume over to Solana in the first two months of like it being able to be traded over on OpenSea as opposed to the other way around. The only thing I'll add to it, and you're not wrong. What what I think where it's still it's valid though is just because there's other ecosystems, right? You can get on Polygon and do NFTs on uh, OpenSea. And yes, the Solana was there as well. But like, how many people actually click over to that tab? How many people actually go over and like look directly into those? Because when you're on OpenSea and you're looking at these different deal flows, you're looking at specifically for ENS. No, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just a personal thing, but like I feel like you go to different platforms for different things. Like when I go on Coinbase, I'm there to trade certain things. If I go on Kraken, it's to trade certain things. Like I'm not doing a whole lot of cross pollination. So in my head, if I were to go to Magic Eden, I know that I'm there to really observe Solana NFTs. But at least you have, you know, now you have the uh, Ethereum ones as well. So there might be a little bit more open receptiveness to it. But again, it's all preference, and you have a good point. So we'll see. Indeed, we will. So let's jump into our second to last story here. And that is with Cool Cats. So we've been, I would say, a little critical of Cool Cats in the past, but I think that's because there's been a lot of question up in the air, right? We saw when they had officially parted ways with their former CEO. And I think we've gone on to like three or four, maybe even five months of Cool Cats not having a direct senior leader. That officially changed last week. So CoolCats has announced its new CEO, Steven Teglis, um, who is formerly um, a veteran of Recur and Disney, is going to be stepping in as their new CEO. I've spoken with a couple different industry sources on this one. I'm not saying that it's a for sure thing, but a lot of people are starting to think that this may actually not be a bigger move for CoolCats as it relates to like the leadership direction and a lot more of a move toward acquisition. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I think there's a chance, but I do think that this is a community that's been clamoring for actual leadership and needing to have somebody at the top that can really drive them towards what they've been promised since the very beginning of Cool Cats. It's got some of the most kid-friendly IP out there. I think that having an ex-Disney vet in at the helm is fantastic because he's clearly done a lot with like big time IP in the past. I would be really interested to see where this one goes, but what's your read? I think that it's a step in the right direction. Again, when you're getting someone who has experience um, 
especially from the world of Disney and understanding like how to build brand, how to build excitement, how to get creative partnerships with a lot of different people. Cause you know, they pretty much have the connections out the wazoo um, when coming from that type of background and also just how to deal with a true corporation. Right. So a lot of these NFT projects, a lot of these blockchain startups, cause even NFT projects are blockchain startups, they're startups. They don't really have that experience of what does it mean to, bring a business to the next level. And this leadership has that kind of experience and can try to help them get there a lot faster and can kind of lean them in the right directions to, to get them ultimately where their, their goals are and to help set really good goals, et cetera. So I think this is a huge announcement. I think it's a, it's a big win for Cool Cats. I think the thing that is almost assured at this point is that at the very least, you're going to see a lot more immediate deliverables across the next like couple of months and potentially a capital raise. Whether that takes the form of an acquisition or not, I think that capital injection is almost like a guaranteed thing at this point. So we shall see where it goes from here. But I'm definitely starting to become a little bit more bullish on Cool Cats. And um, God willing, I may be able to make an impulsive purchase here in the future. Who knows? Let's go ahead into our last story, though, for last week in the metaverse. Yuga Labs, you may have heard of them. We talk about them too much on this show. They are rumored to be launching Mecha Apes. Yes, I said Mecha Apes. I have so many questions. <laughs> like, just examples that come to mind. Can you do something original? Why not? Why not angel apes or demon apes? Like, dude, it just, it seems like, all right, we're going to beat simianization into your face until you accept that you're going to own one of our properties at its absurd premium. And that's just what it's going to be. Like, they've done damn near nothing with the Board Ape Kennel Club. It's just a companion project. They're just like, we're going to roll out more and more monkeys until everybody's a monkey and that's it. Um... I'm sure that this is not just a rumor. Like, I'm sure it's coming. But I, I don't know how to feel about it, man. Like, because I genuinely think that, like, this project is just starting to get stale. You know, when you have a strong brand, you can roll out the same thing over and over again, just a little bit different, and people go, and yes, I'm saying it because it is funny, ape over it. and. Look at brands that have established themselves in the market. Like when Yeezys first came out, right? People at first were really messing with it. And then over time, they sell out every time. They're a little bit different. Color Scream's a little bit different. Just like not a whole lot of uniqueness to it, just a little bit different. Uh, looking at brands like Gucci. Gucci's really expensive. You're paying for exactly what you're getting, which is a super strong brand. People know what you got when you get it. And Qualities there, all this stuff, but also like, is it that much better than like another type of bag that you could get somewhere else? Uh, maybe not, but you're buying that brand because it's a very strong brand. Yuga has the brand of NFTs right now. They have the brand. So I think they're going to absolutely, absolutely pound pavement into the ground until the market says, hey, you should probably try to do something else. It was like when Disney had the magic carrot for years and they could just 
spit out whatever they wanted and people were just eating it up. And then eventually they had to pivot in the 2000s. But for you know a good 50 years, they did what they wanted, how they wanted. No one questioned it. Right now, Yuga's the brand to beat the NFTs. So yeah, uh, am I surprised that they're doing this with Mecca? Are they probably going to do anything with it? Eh, probably not. Are people still going to spend an absurd amount of money to get it? Absolutely. Look, man, I don't know what to say about it. I mean, I, I thought your your um, ape-in joke was just just enough, you know, to like get me to sit here and smirk. But like, I, I really do want to just do like a proper roast of Board API Club one day. Because I'm really getting to that point. Like, it's just... Like, it's a status symbol. Like, I feel like that's, that's all it is. But then again, like, yeah. what, it, what is Louis? What is Prada? Like, what is Fendi? Yeah, I get it. Like, it's all freaking status symbols. Um, but I, I don't know what it yields you beyond that at this current juncture, right? Like, we haven't heard yeah. any new updates about other side recently. We haven't heard any updates about them breaking codas away from the actual other side land like they said they were going to do and be able to allow you to have the codas as their own independent NFTs. It all just seems like they've got a big team that's doing a lot of nothing. And maybe the artists are going to reskin the apes as robots. Who's to really say? I would like them to reskin the apes as, I don't know, mascots. Let's try that next. Dude, it just it feels ridiculous. Hey, someone's going to listen to this from you and they'll be like, that's a great idea. Quick, steal that kid's idea. <laughs> like, I'm not a kid, guys. I'm 29 years old. All right. Anyway, <laughs> let's go ahead and wrap this show up, right? So this has been another edition of Cryptocurrency Aftershock. We do really appreciate you being here. We do this show every single Wednesday. We make really bad jokes and um, frequently get you caught up on everything that's going on in the world of Web3. Make sure you're subscribed over on YouTube. Give us a like if you enjoyed the content. Leave us a comment if you think that we need to work on something or you want more information on a story that we covered in this specific edition. But otherwise, you can certainly check out our interview series where Richard this week sat down with, I believe it was Alexi Cortez, right? That's right. And talked about Dot .Earth. Um, as y'all know, we have Agme coming up this October 28th. She's one of the speakers. So she gave a little taste of what she's doing over at Dot .Earth and then also uh, what she's going to be talking about on her panel, uh, which she's leading a panel discussion on DAOs, which we discussed today. And also another reason why you'd want to, you know, Join us over on YouTube to, for all those who are listening to this right now in your cars or wherever you're doing, um, why you want to come and watch this sometimes. Because sometimes you might even just get a surprise guest where Steve wears a whole dress shirt. And uh, this is a rare sighting. I hope y'all come and eat this up. Look, man, just because I'm so fly doesn't mean you got to like put me on black. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, guys, it's been another great aftershock. Um, please feel free to get at Richard or I on Twitter. My handle is at Steve Miller underscore PHX. You can find him at Richard Carthon. Um, I host a couple other Twitter spaces over there throughout the week. Would love to have you stop by um, and chat with us live. But until next time, guys, stay cryptocurrent and we will see you on the next episode. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other Cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. 